Hello and welcome to Case Reopened. I'm your host, Tyler Treese. Joining me is the man, the Kogoro to my Conan, Kyle Brad. Oh! It's me. Oh. Wow. Thank that was you. beautiful. You're very cool. <laughs> very cool. That's me. Very cool. Very cool guy. And then the Ayumis who are detective boys, it's Colleen. Hi. <laughs> Tyler, you have to do a voice now. I have to do what? You have to do a voice. So, uh, we're doing two episodes today. <laughs> <laughs> and the Conan of our podcast, Tyler. Nani? <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> So, yeah, we're doing two episodes today, and we begin with episode 86, the kidnapping location case. It's originally aired January 12th, 1998. It's our first episode of 1998, Kyle. Hell yeah. What happened in 98? Uh, is that when Bill Clinton got impeached? Oh. um, Yep. December 19th, 1998. So. Wow. Shout out to Clinton for having sex in the Oval Office. <laughs> Gee. <laughs> Jesus. Like, pretty bad president, but that's pretty metal. Whoa. Isn't this the year uh, Tomorrow Never Dies came out? I don't know. Maybe. And, uh, Is that Brosnan? Yeah. It's the year Mulan came Ooh, out. Oh, yeah. Mulan owns. It's also where we continue getting Conan episodes, and that's all that matters to me. Did. They send me daughters when I asked for sons. <laughs> when I asked for sons. And I can relate to that song because, like, I keep asking for a girlfriend and then all I get is, like, gay twinks. <laughs> <laughs> is that how your uh, love life's going? Pretty much. I don't know. Maybe you should try it. And then they say they'll make a man out of you. No, I, think, I don't think that's what twinks do. I don't think they make a man out of anybody. Because usually a twink's not really going to no, be see, the dominant one in a relationship. But what they're saying is they're going to turn you to the gay side by being the bear of the relationship. So they will make a man out of you. Well, I'd be the bear. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So the hence trains. <laughs> <laughs> you know what that means. The villain's gonna be autistic. <laughs> That's not what I meant, but okay. Or Thomas the Tank Engine. I love trains. I think trains are cool. Trains yeah, are cool. Last time I went on the Amtrak, there was this like kid that drug his father to the train station at like fucking 10 a.m. so he could record trains passing by on his iPad and I was like that's a cool kid man 10 a.m. though that's not that bad but you could tell the father did not want to be there <laughs> he just put out he's just like film the trains <laughs> <laughs> And what I don't get is, like, 
There's so many train videos on YouTube. You don't have to, like, go see the trains <laughs> to get video. Like, if you want to study some trains, I've seen, uh, like, even, uh, our boy, who's our, who's, uh, Brian Ropar. He has plenty yeah. of train videos. He's a there. train boy. Yeah, shout out to him. Oh, you remember that VHS tape? Lots and lots of trains? No. Oh, shit. Did you have it? If you know what lots and lots of trains are, audience, like, hit us up. Fuck. What's that? Just a video of trains? It was like a commercial on Cartoon Network and like Nickelodeon all the time for some VHS tape about trains. I knew their target. It was on all the time. I was watching like Toonami. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Ropar, he was probably you love there. anime, you'd love trains. They don't transform, <laughs> but they get, they do go at a moderate pace. At a moderate pace. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brian, man, he he takes some film at the Horseshoe Curve, which is a, a Pennsylvania staple there. I've been there, so you know what that's at. Yeah, me and Brian have walked the same the same part of the earth. Shout out, shout out the friend of the show, Brian Ropar. That explains a lot now that you say it. <laughs> Everybody goes to the Horseshoe Curve around here. It's the it's the spot. They have a little train museum in there. That's probably why it's there. Well, plus you get to see the trains. Because it's a curve that the trains go on. And you're like, ah. But why would you go see trains if you can just watch videos yeah. on YouTube? I don't know, Colleen. Don't <laughs> don't put any value into the words I say. They just come out of my <laughs> mouth. They have no meaning. I, I thought I'd try it out for once, putting that value in there, but I guess it backfired on Never me. Never put any value into Tyler. It will backfire. Yeah, I'm just I'm just a piece of shit. So just ignore everything. Now yeah, I know. You know. So <laughs> Just Conan. Conan uh introduces the episode. He says the detective boys are as energetic as ever. This year, Conan is a bit different. Is it though? Are you different, Conan? I don't believe you. What, is, what what were they saying? I'm confused. Conan's a bit different. Okay, I don't think it was this, but I I don't know about you guys. I felt like this was a bootleg episode of Conan because the animation was. So Yo, different. the animation way different. Yeah. yeah okay. I was looked the only very. One to notice it. Yeah, he looked more cartoony. Absolutely. Mm. Especially Conan and Ayumi. Their eyes were like just proportionately bigger, and at one point Conan's arms were, as you say, very cartoony, and like they've never been that length before. So I didn't know what was going on. Conan's head was super round too. Like, he turned into a circle. <laughs> yes. I don't know. I dug the stylistic change, to be honest. Okay. Who's the uh, head animator on this one? Who's the animation director? I'm not sure. But this was based on a special manga volume. Again, not sure if that has a connection to the stylistic change. What do you mean a special manga volume? Uh, so it was. It's just called a, a special one, and there's a number of them, but this is the only one that was uh, made into a an episode. Ah, interesting. Special volume one, file two, apparently. I don't know. I didn't really. I didn't really think about the look any, but I get what you're saying about it being a little more over the top. Episode begins with Ron going over Karate's strategy and Conan remarking how scary she is before about. She then tells Conan to promise to come to her match. 
and that she has to beat her opponent today. She then does a roundhouse kick to a pole, and that just terrifies both Conan and a bunch of school children that are just trying to get the school. He then starts to hear a loud noise, but it's just construction nearby. After class, Conan is hurrying to the karate hall when Genta calls out for him, and he's like, God damn it, not this fat ass. <laughs> <laughs> they show off their wideband receiver. And Ayumi tells Mitsuhiko that they shouldn't be listening in on people's phone conversations. Conan is about to leave when Genta says that they should listen to a celebrity's phone calls. But Mitsuhiko says that they have to be within a one kilometer radius. And it's just a coincidence who they pick up. While messing around with the dial, Mitsuhiko hears a kidnapping call. Casp. And I love Conan's reaction here. Jesus Christ. Because he's just like, ah, there's nothing we can really do. So, see you guys. <laughs> So this is why Conan's totally different, because the real Conan would have been all over that. I don't know. You didn't want to, like, get in trouble with Ron. <laughs> well, yeah, that's That's the true. Yeah, this would be the one thing <laughs> that would stop him. For sure. That was a powerful kick. However, yeah, uh, Yumi pleads with him to wait and see if there's another call. Kanto then declares that the detective boys are on the case, and the episode cuts to the karate competition, which has already started. Conan tries to sneak away, but Ayumi stops him once again. Another call comes in, and we learn that the victim has a daughter named Junko. What an ugly name. Junko. <laughs> you got a junky-ass name, girl. I'm so sorry for you. Do you think Junko has a Funko Pop figurine? <sighs> of herself? Oh, you mean if she... <laughs> okay. I think there's a Danganronpa character named Junko. Disgusting. I don't know. I haven't played Yankin yes. Rampa. There is. Maybe it's Junko. No, a I'm, I'm sure it's Junko. <laughs> 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 it's much more fun to say Junko than Junko. You just get the shout out to all the Junkos out there. Yeah, shout out to the Junkos. Yeah. Kidnappers tells the, tells the man to come onto his balcony and to take down his satellite dish. Conan says the kidnapper must be watching him. The father is then told that his child will die if he tries anything. He asks what the kidnapper wants, and Conan then hears a train going by. The kidnapper tells the man to have patience and to just stand outside a while. Conan says that they won't waste time getting to the police and that they can handle it. Mitsuhiko says that they don't have any leads, but Conan disagrees. He then brings out a notebook-shaped electronic map that Agasa made for him, and they bring up the possible radius on it, and that the victim lives near a train track. There's only one line in the vicinity, the Baker line, and they run towards it. They now know that the house is by the 600 meters of the track. Conan says that the satellite dishes are normally pointed towards the southwest, so the victim must have a balcony in that direction. The kids then spot a ton of satellite dishes around, and Conan says that they don't have enough information yet. Just then, the kidnapper calls again, and Mitsuhiko picks it up. They tell the father to get naked, and says that high school girls be will be walking by soon. This part was wild. <laughs> yeah, so he should wave to them. The dad complies with the demand, and says hello to the girls who are grossed out. The kidnapper then asks how the man feels to get laughed by the girls in sailor uniforms. That's a feeling I can relate to. 
What a bad guy. Get naked. Yeah, see? You're gonna get naked, see? <laughs> Wave to them girls in those uh, sailor uniforms, see? Thankfully, he was in his underwear, though. That's true. Yeah, what would you do, Colin? Have you ever been approached by a man in his underwear waving at you while you walked home from school? Oh my god. Can't say I have, no. Thank It'd probably god. be very cold in Canada to be out in your underwear. Yeah, I probably would. Karen says it must be located near one of the all-girl schools, but he isn't sure which one wears sailor uniforms. However, Ayumi tells him that Seijin Academy wears blazers, while Baker High wears sailor uniforms, so it must be the latter. So I like that Ayumi got her little chance to shine with like knowing information that is important important to her as a girl, but like Conan wouldn't really bother with. Sort of cute how she once talked again. About it too. Fashion saves the day. Fashion. <laughs> Thank God for fashion. The area is now down to three hundred meters. Another call comes in, and he tells the man to sing a song so loud that the entire neighborhood can hear him. This is just so funny. <laughs> Embarrass yourself. What do you think he's saying? Didn't we hear part of it? Sure, but for the purpose of the yeah, gag, you're supposed to say something <laughs> funny. Um, he was singing uh, Sorry by uh, Super Junior. <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. Nicka, nicka, nicka. He's doing the dance, too. Yeah. And he looks like Leorio, so it, it'll work. <laughs> Always glad we can just leave uh, Tyler out of these conversations. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be a part of this shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, however, the kids can't hear him. They didn't hear uh, construction. And Gita says if they follow the construction truck nearby, it will take them to the location. So then, so look, Ginta had his little man with the shine. Mitsuhiko, has he contributed anything? No. It's his receiver. Yeah, but like, he hasn't helped any. He's useless. What a bad idea, <laughs> too. Just to go eavesdropping on people like that. I don't Mitsuh know. That's pretty cool, actually. Oh, yeah. Mitsuhiko sucks. <laughs> He's a bad kid. No doubt. Well, that's a lot coming from you, Kyle. Yeah, he's a true villain. <laughs> Not like wow. me. They're now down to a 150 meter radius, and Karen says that they need something more definite. The kidnapper calls again and calls the parent pathetic. He says that he was once a parent, and that a little girl fell off a roof. In fact, it happened in the apartment that the parent was managing. That was the kidnapper's daughter, and the man is identified as Tami Dokoro. Kidnapper says that his child was killed by him and asks why the roof wasn't locked. And he says that a prankster broke into the lock. And uh, Tommy Dokoro says the man didn't fix it for an entire week, Kyle. Talk about these landlords. These Hannibal, Hannibal Burris not fixing <laughs> the damn roof. Yeah, if landlords weren't bad enough being responsible for death. Tommy Dokoro says he'll feel the exact same pain he felt. The railway crossing goes off, and Karen then takes the receiver. He listens closely and starts counting down the seconds until it's heard in the call. And I love how he counts so exactly that he knew decimal points, because he reveals that it took 8.2 seconds. Fucking weird. Uh, <laughs> Karen starts running. He's so great. And he says that he knows where they were. 
They find the balcony with the naked man on it, and then they start looking for the kidnapper's location. The man pleads to spare his daughter's life, and the kidnapper tells him to get a knife from the kitchen. Then tells him to stab his own throat, and then he'll release Junko. <laughs> <laughs> what an escalation of things to do, too. Yeah, I know. It's like, get naked and <laughs> come on to some high school. Okay. Start Sing a song. Singing. Stab yourself. <laughs> the father says he can't do it, and Conan is worried that they don't have enough time. Eventually, the man agrees to stab himself, but asks to talk to his daughter one last time. He says, I need to talk to Junko. And he says, daughter, I'm sorry for giving you the stupid name. <laughs> That's my bad. It was my mother's name. <laughs> A long line of Junkos. <laughs> his daughter says that she wants to go home as it smells weird there, and that she hates the smell of rubber. Conan knows there's a tire factory inside, but it's not visible, so she must not be there. Only one apartment complex is in the direction that the wind would take the smell in, so Conan heads to that building. Says the kidnapper's on the rooftop, and he tells Mitsuhiko and Ayumi to contact the police. Conan runs up the stairs while hearing the kidnapper urge on the man's suicide. He tells him to stop hesitating, and that's when Conan kicks the door open. Conan introduces himself as a maitante. And he kicks the receiver at Tomodokuro, knocking him out cold. He then unties Junko. And then he grabs the man radio, just in time to tell him that Junko's safe now, so not to stab himself. Would have been really funny if, like, he saved the daughter, and he's, he's like, eh, he kind of deserves it for naming her such a stupid name. Then he's just dead. <laughs> yeah. After saving her, the fat-ass Genta finally gets up the stairs, and he goes, ugh, just... You wait, kidnapper. And uh, then he realizes that Conan already did everything. <laughs> <laughs> Conan, Stole his fame and glory. Exactly. That's why he has to not listen to Conan. I like how Conan tries to play it off, too. Like, no, he just uh, hit his head. I didn't do anything. Yeah. Right. <laughs> he says that the kidnapper tripped. And then after the ending song, Temidokuro is arrested and Mitsuhiko's sad about his transceiver becoming broken. Conan then remembers Ron's karate match and runs over, but it's already done. However, he hears a, sorry, however, he overhears people talking about the champion high school girl having an amazing back kick, and he learns that Ron won the championship. She then asks Conan if he saw her, and he says that the back kick she used to finish the final match was awesome. However, you fucking she used fool. The back yeah, she, he gave too many details for no reason. That's what messed him up. However, she used the back kick in the semifinals and won the finals because her opponent got hurt and was disqualified as a result. She yells at Conan for breaking his promise, and then he runs off. So, Kyle, we finally got a Detective Boys episode. What do you think? We did. Uh, I got really excited by the previews and all that. Also because it's not a murder, and you guys know how I feel about non-murder cases, but... This one was a pretty big letdown, to be honest. Uh, I don't know. I feel like the stakes were pretty low. It was just the detective boys running around. Uh, it also felt like they weren't deducing much. It felt almost like just the whole episode was reactionary to just things that were happening. So uh, I don't know. I didn't like it all that much, to be honest. I like that it was different. It felt different enough from 
the normal case, and I like that they just had to, like, it was kind of out of their hands to an extent. You don't really see Kenan, like, that helpless, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. So I kind of liked him being at the at the mercy of whatever things that the, the guy would hint at over the radio, and them trying to figure it out that way. So I, I enjoyed it from that perspective, and I thought it was more unique than the average case. So I, I actually dug it. What do you think, Colleen? I wasn't really feeling it either. Um, after I got through, like after I accepted that it looked like Pegasus had played his Toon World card, uh, there was a lot of other things that didn't really work for me. So, okay, we get, it's pretty cool. We get a new gadget, the electronic notebook map thing, but we never see it again. So not sure if I should uh, really take note of that one. Uh, Ayumi... Uh, when Conan presents the notebook, Ayumi says something like, oh, that was invented by your relative, right? And I was like, what? Why are why is she all, like, surprised at... Yeah, because they've, they've gone camping together. It's weird that they're acting like she's never... Like they don't know each other. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I was like, all right, that's off. And then I was just uncomfortable watching the whole, like, the kidnapper telling the dad to do humiliating things i was just like oh no and then i got all tense when he upped the ante to okay just kill yourself i was like oh my gosh they better find him it was pretty messed up when he told the father to do a detective canon podcast (laughs) i was like man he's gone too far now this dude's crazy yeah and there was no guarantee that his daughter would have been safe anyways after he killed himself so it's like it's okay. Like my favorite part of the episode, okay, on a to end on a good note was uh the interactions between Conan and Ron. I thought those were really cute and funny. Yeah, those were cute. Uh I think it's it's part of the show that I wish that we got to see more of where it was just Conan interacting with his friends uh with no stakes involved or just like slices of his life, but that's not the show that this is. So that's why I get it. Yeah. Conan reading a book. (laughs) (laughs) Playing with his friends. I still feel like we get some of those moments, though, enough throughout the series. Like, usually before before a murder happens, we get to see a few minutes of them just having regular interactions, you know? That's true. I want to see, like, Conan dealing with entrance exams. (laughs) He's six. Hmm? Dealing with a book report. Oh, no, they did that. There's a book report episode? Sort of. There's one where they go to a library to do a book report. I feel like I'm missing out. uh, Of course. I don't remember this. It ends in a mystery. Who gets murdered? Uh, I can't remember who got got murdered, but the guy who did it was like a really creepy library worker. Librarians. Can't trust them. That's not true. Oh, was that the one where he puts the elevator... Yeah. Okay, yeah, we covered that. Maybe Kyle wasn't there. So, next Conan's hint is Bird's Nest. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Conan says an animal appears next episode. And then we get some Japanese pun about it being the year of the tiger or crane. I I have no clue what it was all about. Oh, because they both sound like Tsuru. The guy who I always think is Genta's voice said something about slip, like, oh, I slipped or something. And then 
slip and crane apparently sound very similar in Japanese. So, yeah, there you go. Hilarious. Fraser Crane. Hilarious, guys. I wish this Indeed. was about Fraser Crane. So, we move on to episode 87, The Crane's Return of a Favorite Murder Case. <gasps> this, this originally aired January 19th, 1998. Cranes. Do you like Crane? <laughs> I like. He's cool. Niles Crane. He's funny. <laughs> Conan introduces the episode by saying, Today's case is about protecting animals. All folk tales have deep meanings, don't yeah. they? <laughs> mm. so, uh, Some of them. So, if you guys remember, <laughs> I brought this up. I think I brought it up on a podcast. If not, I brought it up on a conversation after the podcast. I was talking about a crane's wife. Do you remember this? Kyle? Vaguely? I don't okay, remember the so story, though. It's a story where this man saves a crane, and then the crane appears as a woman the next day, and she's like, I'm your wife. And he's like, eh, fuck it, sure. And um, then she starts, like, making, like, silk and stuff for him. And she's like, just don't enter the room when I'm making it. But he gets curious one day, and he looks in, and it's like the crane plucking its own, crane plucking its own feathers to make the the stuff he was selling. And then she's the crane's like, Oh, you've seen my true form. I must go back to where I came from now. Pretty twisted. But, uh, see the great, the deep <laughs> meaning there? Yeah, well, I was about to ask, what does this mean? <laughs> I don't know. I think it's, you should just be appreciative. <laughs> not question it. <laughs> or else you'll find out your wife is <laughs> My secret's been revealed. Yeah. Let's go back to my people. Yeah, so I looked this up, and there's other variants. Uh, cranes. We, oh, there's some weird ones. Let me just bring this up. So the, the story's called Siru no Anageshi. Crane's Return of a Favor. So I told you guys the first one. Okay. Well, let me, I want to talk about do. these variations. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. So this is the... Crazier than this one? <laughs> they get crazy, Colin. So, in the... <laughs> Yes, the copper pheasant <laughs> wife, the wife does not weave cloth, but instead provides her husband a plume to feather an air shaft the husband's rewarded for. Uh, the wife is not looked in on by the husband like in the crane wife. Instead, the pheasant wife, uh, the pheasant wife leaves as soon as the favor is returned. In the bird wife, it's an injured goose that the man saves. The wife weaves without prompting from the husband. One day she disappears and he finds her in a local pond. It's there she explains that she was trying to repay his kindness and asked him to use the money from selling the cloth to take care of their child before flying away. Now we move on to the fox wife. That's where a fox helps the man in... Sorry. A fox that the man helps then shows up on the man's doorstep to become his bride. In this tale, the fox does not weave, but uses her tail to help sweep the floors. Upon discovering his wife's identity, the man drives her away. Then we have the clam wife. <laughs> Clams? Like, the sexiest animal in the kingdom. <laughs> well, just you wait until what the sexy animal is doing, because it might be your kink. A man finds uh, a beautiful woman mysteriously appear at his doorway. They become married, and the wife cooks the husband a delicious bean soup each day. However, he peeks in on her cooking and discovers that she is urinating uh, clam juice into the soup. Oh my god. No. <laughs> 
So he chases her away. I want a yeah. divorce. That's the right decision. Oh dear. And Stop pissing into my fucking food. <laughs> We're not done with that. Oh, so no. then a fishwife, a fisherman releases fish that he doesn't need to eat back into the water because he's not greedy. A beautiful woman then appears at the fisherman's door and begs to be his wife. The wife cooks the husband a bean soup that is so good that he's suspicious how she makes it. He spies on her while she's cooking and discovers that she urinates in the soup. Why? <laughs> Later at dinner, he alludes to her cooking method. And the wife realizes that he... Wait, did he drink it? She... Oh, yeah. He's, he's loving it. <laughs> it's he's still good. He's still eating it. Yeah. Um, now that he knows, she says that she must return to her former home. Bids the husband uh, farewell. The husband visits her at the pond the next day. When he does, she explains how she was the fish that he saved and she wanted to return the favor. However, she disappears into the water, leaving him a box of gold and silver behind. And then finally, we have the snake wife. A beautiful woman appears in a widower's doorway, asking to stay the night. They become married, and the wife becomes pregnant. The wife warns the husband not to look in on the hut, where she intends to have the child. He looks and discovers a snake. The wife says that as the husband has seen her true form, she must leave. She ends up giving her child two eyes. Sorry, she ends up giving her husband two eyeballs for nourishment, as she cannot be there to feed it. When the son grows of age, he takes care of his blind mother. Yep. I now yeah. know what I'm going to be reading my children. Yeah, at least I didn't piss in the soup. Lots of piss. Which wife would you prefer to have, Kel? Um, <laughs> these all seem like, I don't know, the crane, I guess? I just want the human wife. Well, they're all <laughs> human at some point. I guess you can't uh, look a gift crane in the <laughs> mouth, huh? Okay. Would you fuck the crane? <laughs> this episode begins with Kogoro. No answer, okay? Ask- I see. <laughs> We all know yeah, what but that in means. all seriousness, like this, I'm not surprised that any of these folk tales exist because uh, they're kind of like the fairy tale, animal shape shifting kind of stuff that we have probably all read at some point, like Beauty and the Beast type of stuff. I still don't get the moral. Oh, I don't know. If, are they what meant am I to have a moral? To take away from this? Are they fables or folk tales? I mean, Conan just said all folk tales have deep meanings. meanings. Yeah. <laughs> So, so don't look in though. on your wife when she tells you not to. Yeah, or else you'll... She has to go back to her so, people. Yeah, that's what the Japanese had instead of Animorphs. <laughs> so. Damn. Animorphs is real. The episode begins with Kegaro driving and asking Ron if they're going the right way. He then mentions that they've come all the way to Hokkaido, and they're not even getting to eat crab or soak in the hot springs. He asks why Ron can't just look at cranes in the zoo. And Conan explains that the red-crested cranes are protected by Japan, and that you can only see them in the northernmost island. They arrive at the feeding grounds, and both Ron and Conan are enjoying watching the birds eat and fly around the nearby cabin. That's when a man named Shuzo Machida enters with a crossbow. (laughs) 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 And he's like, who gave you permission to be in here? Kogoro asks if this is private property. It is. And Ron apologizes to the man, saying that she heard red-crested cranes don't like to be near people. She thought this was an observatory. The man is surprised to learn that they're not here to steal from them. And Conan asks why the cabin has tempered glass like an airplane. 
He says it's so pranksters won't break them. What do you think about this guy just barging in here with a fucking crossbow aimed at Koguro? I thought he was cool. Yeah, pretty baller. One of the Power top too. ten entrances by any character. What would you say if you were in Koguro's position? Is this private <laughs> property? <laughs> Shuzo changes his attitude and shows Conan and Ron around, having them help him feed the cranes, and then offers them to stay at his place, saying there's a hot spring nearby. Kegger is excited by the free invite and agrees to the offer. Kenner remarks that this is just like the crane's kindness in the folktale, although this man didn't piss in any soup. Neither did the crane. If only. Oh, just let the joke <laughs> fucking go. <laughs> Good call out. Jeez. The man points out his house saying that he lives alone because the crane fucking died. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Learned that she's his wife passed away five years ago. Kegger takes a look at the stuffed crane in his house, which is actually his, a stuffed version of his wife. And uh, Shizu reveals <laughs> that he stuffs cranes that die from illness or injury, and he donates them to schools and museums. We then meet his younger brother, Tamatsu, who he calls a hopeless artist that has been freeloading with him for the past ten days. He introduces everybody, and Tamatsu recognizes Kegro as a famous detective. Kegro is quite impressed that his fame has reached Hokkaido, but Shizo says it hasn't, as Tamatsu is from Tokyo. <laughs> See, you're that's like you, Colleen. You're like Shizo because Kegro was having this nice little moment. He was like so joyful, and you just had to knock him down with a reality check. Yeah, Shizo's great. <laughs> Too bad he had to die. Ooh, Kenan, spoiler. Kenan then spots more tempered get glass. Sorry, reset it. Kenan then spots more tempered glass. Shizo says that it's going to replace frosted glass so he can observe cranes from here as well. Another car then arrives, and it's Shizo's son and daughter who are in a frenzy after hearing that their father had been donating his wealth to the village. He says that it's true, and that the village will use the money to look after the cranes. His son, Hiroshi, tells him to look after him instead, and his daughter, Noriko, asks for help as people are trying to take over her boutique. Shuzo snaps and says that all they ever think about is money. Hiroshi goes to light the fireplace, and his lighter is slapped out of his hand. Tomatsu explains that there's an empty turtle dove nest on top from last spring, and that they might use it again this year. Shuzo then tells him not to touch anything in the house without his permission, especially his fireplace. Tomatsu admits that he called both of Shuzo's kids here, as he thought problems would arise later on if he didn't. He's told to mind his business by Shuzo, who also says that a lawyer is coming at 5pm to finalize everything, so that his 300 million yen goes to the village once he does. Do you know how much money that is, Kyle? No, how much? That is... Two million seven hundred twenty-two thousand dollars. Not enough. That's a lot of money for some cranes, man. You think he Gotta should have the given it to his kids? Well, maybe a bit. <laughs> he said that they already got their share. They did, yeah. They yeah, did. but if you got that much left over, maybe. 
I don't know. He really loved his, his crane says voice. that he's clearly. His daughter says that he's crazy, and Chizé says that they've both been paid their shares already. Then tells them to pay respect to their mother, as they haven't been here in quite some time. So they go and pet the uh, <laughs> stuffed crane. Ken remarks that they have bad luck staying with such a psychotic family. Then cuts to Shuzo tying a bandage on an injured crane's leg. We then learn that he used to be a president of a car company in Tokyo, but he moved here with his wife when she got sick eight years ago. His children didn't want to leave Tokyo, so he gave them their share of his money before he left. Hiroshi then picks up the crossbow and points it at his father, which causes Kogoro to scream at him before his son tells him to shut up. It's not even loaded. The son then throws it down and pushes Kogoro away. Kogoro, Ron, and Kenan then go to the hot springs, and Kogoro remarks that something is missing. He then has Kenan fetch him alcohol from their car, and Kenan notices the two kids talking in the woods. Tomatsu asks if everything's alright, and Mori says it's great. Tomatsu mentions that his sketchbook is completely empty, so he might go draw some cranes at the feeding grounds. Before leaving, he drops the book, but luckily Conan catches it. He then says he'll be back to pick them up at five when the lawyer arrives. Time passes, and we see Hiroshi speeding away before Tomatsu arrives. He then gets there, and Ron asks if he finished his sketches. He shows them off and says he'll head back first and come back to get them. The lawyer arrives, and Tomatsu leads him inside. However, they see that the window has been broken, and Shuzo has been shot in the heart with an arrow. The door is locked from inside, and the daughter asks what all the commotion is. Tomatsu says that her father has been shot dead and breaks down the door, tells her not to touch the body and to go find Hiroshi and to get Kogura from the hot springs. So, this is where I became like very suspicious of him, because he just automatically assumed that he was already dead instead of like checking the body. Like oh, true. Would. True. So that that's when I became suspicious. It's like Kogoro's friend, right? Who was like a he didn't ask to call for an ambulance or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's why I, I remembered that. What, what about you, Kyle? Did you have any early inklings of who committed it? Uh, I feel like a asshole every time I talk about who I thought it would be because I thought it would you be thought it was the woman. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh. I thought it would be uh the brother because uh. He seemed like he had a fairly good reason for wanting him gone, and he's the one who called the uh, the son and the daughter to get them there. So the fact that he was involved in that seems like he was trying to set them up for something. So that was sort of my running theory. What about you, Colin? I also thought it was uh, Tomitsu, the brother, because he seemed to be the one that was most on uh, his brother's side, Chuzo's side. Uh, from the get-go like he was the nicest one of the three and also when he showed um his sketchbook to the gang at the hot springs i was like okay there's a reason why he's doing this and it's to set an alibi so he wouldn't have to do that like he went out of his way to come see them with the sketchbook and explain to them all of that so i thought that was the direction that this was going to go in Kegger investigates and learns from Tomatsu that the late Shuzo would watch videos of his late wife every day at the room at 4pm. The frosted glass was so that he could be alone with his wife, and he was going to replace it once he got over her death. What a sweet guy. To his wife. (laughs) Not to his kids. He gave them their share. Well, he gave them money, yeah. He's also a great jokester. (laughs) A great jokester. (laughs) 
Keanu notices a scratch on the tempered glass and finds it odd that the glass shards from the window are all in a straight line. He also finds a scratch on the floor, and the daughter returns saying that she can't find her brother. Ron tells him that she saw him leaving in a rush earlier. Kenan then finds suit on the victim's body and finds an unburnt piece of wood in the fireplace. Kenan's then tossed aside by Kagero, and the police then arrive with Hiroshi in their possession. I like that we got to see a new police department here. That's always fun. Yeah. We meet Detective Itsumatsu. Or as I like to call him, Detective Gargamel. The Smurfs? No. What? It's the bad guy from the Smurfs. Carry on. Yeah, well, are you saying he looks like him? I thought so. Oh, okay. And yeah, I guess he's bald. Bald and has, like, <laughs> <laughs> black hair around. Wait, how can you be bald if you have black hair? He's got, like, the, the like, he's balding. He's got the ring of hair okay. around his head. Okay. So he says that Hiroshi confessed to killing his father with a crossbow. And Kagura then introduces himself as a great detective to a very confused Itsumatsu. And uh, Kagura has to admit that his name really hasn't reached Hokkaido yet. What blow to his ego there? Not yet. It, it'll happen. I ho- I think. One day, maybe. Kenan says that something isn't... Oh, just so... If people don't know the geography of Japan, Hokkaido is the very northernmost island, so... That's why it'd take a while to reach there from Tokyo. The more you know. Kanan says that something isn't right about the case. Hiroshi says that he didn't mean to kill his father and he was aiming at the stuffed crane. Well, fucking great aim, dude. <laughs> and like, why? Throwing darts at my dad. <laughs> didn't mean to kill him. Yeah. He wanted to scare his father so he'd think twice about the donation. He saw his father watching videos through a crack in the window. Took two steps back and then cr- fired at the crane. He says he didn't want to do it, but his sister wouldn't shut up about it. <laughs> <laughs> when questioned, she puts the blame at Tamatsu, who said that their father might reconsider if they scared him. What kind of logic is that? Really bad logic. If you, I know. And uh, Tamatsu's just like, uh, you misunderstood <laughs> me. <laughs> I really like how that's the end of that conversation, too. Yeah. <laughs> You're just like, yeah, I guess he's right. <laughs> Conan notices a crane's feather in the back pocket of Tamatsu, and then looks through a book on cranes. He then sees the skylight and goes up to the roof. He removes the bird's nest and finds some evidence. Conan says that everything makes sense from the sketches to the scratch on the tempered glass. Everything's connected, and Hiroshi isn't the murderer. Izumatsu tells Hiroshi that he'll listen to his story back at the station, and that he wants his sister to come along as she's suspected as an accessory to murder. I guess fashion doesn't pay. Accessory. Uh, fuck it. <laughs> fashion solved the case in the last episode, so it's all good. Oh, God. Right when Kogoro is saying that he has no issues with the arrest, kind of knocks him out. He then forces Kogoro to backtrack and say that Hiroshi isn't actually the murderer and brings up the glass shards on the floor. Kogoro says that the tempered glass was originally placed there and Hiroshi shot the arrow from the outside. So, Hiroshi's arrow hit the glass, not Shuzo. However, since the glass was transparent, he didn't notice it. What a dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> he yeah. was all riled up. 
Because his sister wouldn't let it go. What is perfect bro. crime, too, though? Just to sort of uh, incept someone else's brain to make them think they did the murder? Yeah. It's like that Kagura episode we did recently, where it's like, yeah, yeah that's true. Kill. The real arrow came from the fireplace where the suit was scraped off by strings that held the crossbow in place. Kagura shows the wood and says that it was attached to the end of the string and placed between the trigger and handle of the crossbow. A rubber band was then tied around the trigger and the string was pulled up through the chimney where the murderer could easily see through the skylight. Pulled the string at the moment that Hiroshi shot and there are traces of suit on the window to prove this. This was a premeditated murder by none other than Tamatsu. Act shocked, guys. What? Uh, whoa! Et tu brute. Didn't see that coming. It's just like Hamlet. Uzumatsu <laughs> says that the uh, people would have noticed the tempered glass when the three of them entered the crime scene, but Kokoro says that they were focusing on the victim. Tamatsu then forced them into the hallway so they wouldn't remember the details and gave the other two errands so that he could rearrange the crime scene. The motive was due to him being turned down when asking for money. He had called the kids here to take the fall for the crime so that he could get a share of the inheritance. Tomatsu says that he was sketching at that time, but Kogoro says that's what made him suspicious in the first place, as the tail wings of red-crested cranes aren't black. Their wings are black, but their tails are white. Cranes also face the wind when they sleep, but his sketch had them facing leeward. Who doesn't know that? Come on. Yeah, come on, Devrash. <laughs> Shows that he didn't sketch the ones at the feeding ground, but rather the stuffed one that was dead. The wife? Yep, he sketched the wife. This was likely done in adva- uh, this was likely done in advance, and he showed them an unused sketchbook earlier in the day. Tomatsu says that he may have made a mistake, but Kogoro doesn't have any proof that he didn't do the drawings at the feeding ground. Kogoro mentions that Conan's fingerprint should be on the notebook from when he caught it. However, Tomatsu says that he wiped it off because it was dirty. Kagura then strikes back by saying that the definitive proof is in his back pocket, as he has a feather in it. The feather isn't from a crane, but from the turtle dove that nested on the chimney. He must have grabbed it when he collected the string. How ironic. My art made you suspect me, says Tomatsu. He admits to the crime and says that maybe he never had any talent. Just like my brother said, I lack observation skills. I understand now. Damn. What do you think about the the brother doing the crime off in his brother? Pretty metal. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I think we were all right. Did we not all say that was yeah. the brother? Yes. Yay for us. Yeah, everybody was surprised. What do you think, Colleen? I mean, the brother doing it, not surprised, but I did like the case. I thought... Uh, uh, I thought the trick was really elaborate and uh, was kind of cool. Uh, there were a lot of good Kogoro moments. So, yeah, overall, I liked it. Yeah, I liked him getting drunk in the hot springs and then swimming around. You can always around. count on Kogoro for something like that. Uh, really bummed because, like, my favorite character was the guy that got oh, killed this yeah. episode. Wish he stuck around because uh, that dude was awesome. He had a crossbow. I'm glad he's dead. Oh. Yeah. For the cranes? He was a buzzkill. He was a buzzkill. Because of his wife? 
<laughs> no, because he, he had to interrupt Kagura with his facts and shit. <laughs> like a certain somebody. Or... Who would that be? Justin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> After the credits were learned that a Migrating Birds Protection Foundation was established using Shuzu's inheritance, Ron says that it's great that the brother and sister are now taking care of the birds and are fulfilling their father's wish. Kegura then says that he wants to be a crane and taking care of. So, kind of <laughs> wow. just remarks, man, nothing's going to reform this old man. I mean, I agree with him, though. Kogur just wants a free pass yeah. on life. Same. Take care of me. What if the fox wife looked like that anime character I like? Kyle? I, uh, when you brought her up, I thought that's where my mind went. Yeah, if it was, then he really had the dream worked out there. <laughs> Fluffy tail. Jeez. That's what all men want. Hmm? That's what all men want, a woman with a fluffy tail. No, I wasn't uh, asking what. I was just contradicting you. Yep. Next count and hint, <laughs> projector. You should do the next count and hint voice. No, only Colleen can do it. Colleen. Oh, this is going to be horrible. Next, content. Yeah, that was pretty good. Okay. Projector. <laughs> <laughs> Just like that. <laughs> so what did you think of this episode overall, Kyle? We get to go to Hokkaido. So we met a new policeman that apparently looked like a Smurfs character. And so Kegrio in a hot springs. What would you think? Uh, yeah, I thought this was a fun little, uh, what do you call it? Side quest. My brain is broken. I can't think of other words, but uh, I liked the connection with animals in this episode. I thought uh, the symbolism here was pretty interesting and unique. I liked the the guy who got murdered was an interesting character. He had a pretty interesting story with his wife, and I like how uh, there was the setup with his kids. Uh, I always think it's interesting when a murderer is not just trying to you know get out of uh, trouble, but he's also like thinking ahead of the game and figuring out who he's going to frame for the murder. Um, the murderer himself, I thought uh, he seemed a little lame. He didn't seem like a very interesting villain. Uh, didn't really care about him, to be honest. But the rest of the episode as a whole, I thought it was pretty good. So I had fun. Did you think this was an anime original or a manga case? Ooh, uh, I'll go manga. Oh. You're incorrect. Jesus, anime fuck. Original. Okay. You're doing so well. Yeah. Just the one. <laughs> Colleen, what do you think about this case? Yeah. Again, I, I like the episode. I like the trick. I'm really, I'm always impressed when Conan can figure out exactly how, like, the mechanics of everything worked out just by seeing some soot and, like, a feather. It's like, okay, wow, did not see that, but kudos to Conan. Um, I liked uh, the whole, like, Mori family outing interaction and i thought it was cute that because we often get the gags between conan and ron how or i guess ron and shinichi in a way that shinichi has his own thing ron has her interests but when they actually do something that they like together so they were both really into actually observing the cranes and feeding them so i thought that was a cute little shinron moment 
yeah, fun episode. Uh, and then at the end here, we get a little tease for the next episode. It's going to be Dracula, a two-parter with Dracula in it. And the Karen says, speaking of Dracula, in the next episode, across garlic, yakiniku. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, there's another Japanese pun that I don't... Over our heads. Yeah. But Dracula next time, Kyle. Hell yeah, dude. I'm hyped. A two-parter, so. Got a lot of fun stuff. One bat. Two bats. <laughs> three bats. <laughs> four bats. Five bats. So yeah, Six five bat. bats. Six bats? What about seven? <laughs> Too much? Seven bats. Okay. Can I get an eight? Um, eight bats. <laughs> Jesus. All right. Nine so bats. That'll do it for this episode. But since we have a few seconds left, do you want to give some shout outs across the world? Shout out to San Felipe in uh, South America. Over in Europe, shout out to Froberg. Shout outs to. Almeria, Valladolid, Jeddah, Cairo, we have an Egyptian nice. that's cool, shout out to Kuwait City, hell yeah, Uh, apparently in India there's a place called Hyderabad, say that one again, Uh, Hyderabad, okay. Shout out to, uh, let's see, Auckland, New Zealand. Shout out to Taichung, Toyohashi, Japan, Sha Alam, Bangkok, and let me get some American cities. Minneapolis, Great Falls, uh, the Canadian city of Vancouver. Shout out to Oakland, the Raiders are leaving you. El Paso, Texas. Fort Worth, shout out to Jacksonville, Dallas, Houston, Richmond, Virginia, Jersey City, Greenville, Gatineau, Randolph, New Richmond. Look at all these exciting places, Kyle. That's a lot of places. Yeah. So. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. Just from Colleen, me and Kyle, don't care. It's true. <laughs> so yeah, you can follow the podcast at case underscore reopened on Twitter. You can follow Kyle on Twitter at spirit and soul. Soul. You got it. Yeah. I'm at Tyler Trees. Colleen's not on Twitter because she's smart. Oh, I think so. But not very humble. Alright, we'll see you guys all next week and girls, because we do know there's a, at least one female listener. Sadly. Sadly. Um, we'll, see, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. And remember, one truth always prevails. <laughs>